Good morning, everybody. This is Dave Rowland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, filling in for Gary Nolan today. I'm glad you are listening to us. I hope that we're going to have some interesting things to talk about, but I want to kick off. I am still a buzz about uh, a certain football game that took place on Saturday night. <laughs> Brian, did you watch that Tennessee-Alabama game? I did. I game? watched the whole thing. Uh-huh. So people who know me, they know I I come by it honest. I was born in Knoxville on homecoming day, five minutes after kickoff, and my mom swears that I came down the chute saying, what's the score? So I have been a Tennessee fan my entire life, and I grew up in northern Alabama. And let me tell you, it is a hard thing to grow up in northern northern Alabama as a Tennessee fan, especially when Alabama year after year would beat us up one side of the field and down the other. Ladies and gentlemen, it had been 15 years since Tennessee beat Alabama. And uh, so if if you felt the ground rumble and you were in the vicinity of Mexico, Missouri on Saturday evening, that might have been the force of my hooting and hollering uh, as the football inched its way over the crossbar, uh, allowing Tennessee to defeat Alabama. So, uh, Dude, it's worse for us here in Missouri. You know, we, we have not beat Alabama in football <laughs> since 1968. <laughs> so I wanted to address that. So, so here's another thing. Um, I, of course, am a rabid football fan. Uh, my wife also comes from a family of very enthusiastic college football fans. And she, of course, grew up here in Missouri. She attended Missouri. Um, and so, you know, they are huge uh, Mizzou fans. And so I kind of married into that the way that she married into uh, Tennessee fandom. Um, and the, the funny thing is, is... We told people when we got married in 2007 that the only reason our marriage could work is that our football teams were in different conferences and they never played each other, right? Because at that point, Mizzou's in the Big 12 and Tennessee's in the SEC. And uh, I I think maybe literally they had never played each other Mm -hmm. uh, at that point. And so we get married. And uh, a few years later, lo and behold, we find out not only is Mizzou going to be joining the SEC, they're going to be joining the SEC East, which means (laughs) we're going to have to play each other every single year. And it just so happened that shortly before uh, the announcement was made about uh, Mizzou's shift to the SEC, Jennifer and I found out that we were expecting our first child. And we believe that God blessed us with Viola to make sure that our marriage would not split up when Mizzou joined the SEC. And, and sure enough, it, we've, we've managed to hold it together uh, whenever we have game days where Mizzou and Tennessee are playing. We usually have the kids dress in mixed outfits. Jennifer wears her Mizzou stuff. I wear my Tennessee stuff. And then the kids, you know, uh, Viola would wear like a, a Tennessee top and Mizzou pants or something like that. Um, but there was, there was an incident a few years ago, uh, when Tennessee came to play in Columbia and, uh, we decided it was going to be Viola's first college football game. And Viola told her mama she wanted to wear Tennessee stuff to the football. <laughs> so there we were. 
in in the the stadium over there and uh we were sitting in the Mizzou section and I was wearing my Tennessee stuff and Viola was wearing her Tennessee stuff and and Tennessee ended up winning the game but um yeah Jennifer was a little salty about that Viola has since <laughs> Moderated. We we went to the Mizzou Abilene Christian game earlier this year. Abilene Christian is my alma mater, my college alma mater, um, and so we went to that game. And uh, the kids were wearing their Mizzou colors. So so I do make a point of of cheering for Mizzou whenever possible. Uh, the only time that that uh, my support for Mizzou wavers is is when Tennessee gets involved. But that, that could explain the last time that Mizzou and Tennessee played. I said M I Z, and there was nothing. For no, you. no, yeah. no response. <laughs> no response. That's right. Um, but you know, something to perhaps hearten uh, Mizzou fans is that you know college football is cyclical. And uh, when Jennifer and I first got together, Mizzou was riding that high wave. Uh, you know, we went to a couple of Big 12 championship games that Mizzou was playing in. When Mizzou first came into the SEC, they won the SEC East a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, I know it's it's a tough season for you guys this year, um, but but it can get turned around. Uh, maybe that can happen with Drinkwitz. Maybe it'll happen with a different coach. But um, but it can come around again, and I, I think you guys can and will be competitive again. Um, and and in the meantime, just let me tell you, it is great when your program finally comes back from one of those downturns because Tennessee has been wandering in the wilderness for you know the better part of two decades now, um, and so to to finally uh, get something like this past us uh you know it's it's just exhilarating and i have faith that mizzou is going to have those kinds of exhilarating moments as well in the future i just hope it doesn't happen against the team in orange so i understand you guys need some goalposts though (laughs) that's right so yeah and we can't lend you hours because we have a game this weekend (laughs) yeah so so they started a a, basically a gofundme to to raise uh raise money to replace you think that's a goalpost it is a joke but but it's actually been very effective uh i think the goalposts together cost in the neighborhood of one hundred and sixty thousand, and i know that that much yeah yeah, and, and so I I believe that as of yesterday evening, um, they had raised on the order of fifty thousand uh, for, for for the replacement <laughs> costs. But but one of the, one of the great traditions with Tennessee and, and goalposts is uh, the Tennessee River runs right by the stadium there in Knoxville, and so the big tradition, and it has been going back into the early twentieth century, is when the goalposts get torn down. The fans take them and chuck them into the Tennessee River, um, and so that's what they did on Saturday wow, night. Wow, they don't even cut them up and keep the pieces. Well, so, <laughs> so so some people will break off pieces on their way down to okay. the river, but but that's the ultimate destination for for the bulk of the the goalposts. Um, it was funny. It was fun watching the end of the game as they carried the goalposts off the field. And there was one dude that was riding the goalposts uh, all the way out. <laughs> yeah. And if I would have been one of the people 
that was carrying the goalpost. Oh, did get off! You're weighing it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the the weight of one person in comparison, it, you know, it's it's like a a feather. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah. So the the funny thing to me is, um, you know, my children. My my oldest is ten. Um, I've got a, a six year old and then a two year old, and and the six year old was watching with great interest my reaction to all of this. Um, and he, he doesn't quite get everything about college football and the traditions and the celebrations. And so after the game, the fans were running onto the field and I may have been weeping a little bit. Um, and then they started to take the goalposts down and I said, they're tearing down the goalposts. <laughs> and William goes, Oh no. I said, no, 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 buddy. That's, that's, it's fine. Thing. This is, this is a good thing. This is a traditional celebration, you know, but, um, yeah, so he'll, he'll learn. He'll learn. But that um, was a massive group of people all in one location. I mean, I, oh my goodness, it was yeah. incredible. Well, yeah. I mean, so, so when you see people rushing the field, you mm -hmm. hope nobody gets hurt because that's a, I mean, you could easily get, you know, fall on the ground and, Oh yeah, people wouldn't even know that they're walking on you. Well, you know, I was I was telling Stephanie uh, as she was leaving the studio uh, back in 1985, um, Tennessee beat number one Auburn in Knoxville, and they tore down the goalposts um, at, after that game, and and someone actually accidentally got killed. Wow. Um, like as it was coming down, the goalpost you know hit someone on the head and they died. So so yeah, it is not the safest of of celebrations. Uh, but fortunately, I'm, I'm not aware of any any injuries associated with this. this and they did get a fine. fine. I think it was $100,000 oh, yeah. for the, uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I think it was for rushing the field because they Right, yeah. So, so the SEC uh, imposes penalties on schools for allowing fans into the, the competitive area. And it goes not only for football. It also goes for, like, basketball Correct. and things like that. Yep. So, so essentially, if a school does not prevent the fans from intruding into the how do you do that <laughs> well I, I, I mean, yeah but but that's that's what you do the, you you impose the fines and and they announced before the game they wanted to make sure everyone knew before the game you know if you rush the field it's it, the school's going to have to pay this fine and it goes to like scholarships or something like right. that um but it was funny because after the game um in the midst of the celebration one of the TV stations interviewed uh, the University of Tennessee's president, and they said, "Well, you know, you guys are going to have to pay this fine now." And he just laughed, and he was he was smoking his victory cigar, and that that was one of the other things I had to explain to my kids because my kids understand that smoking is unhealthy, and they don't understand why anyone would do it. And I said, "Well, you know, particularly with cigars, it's a traditional celebration, especially with this game. The the side that wins usually smokes a cigar, and." Um, you know they were they were trying to get their heads around that, but I, I believe the the university president was smoking his cigar and just cackling as they were saying, "Well, you know, the school's going to have to pay this quarter mil, uh, yeah, quarter million dollar fine." Uh, I think the first offense under this new policy, and it was only imposed a few years ago, uh, but the first offense is like a hundred thousand dollar fine. The second offense, I think, is a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine. I think a third offense. Um, is like up to half a million. Wow. Um, so it's, it's this escalating scale. And I believe it is, uh, not limited to per season. It's like cumulative. Yeah. So, so I they think. They keep track of them forever. They do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I understand why. I understand why they have this policy, but at the same time, that's one of the things that makes 
college football so exciting or, or one of the things that reveals the greatness of this sport it is, is that but people get I so question excited whether or not about it what they're asking the universities to do in terms of keeping people off the field how do you do that how could you possibly keep a hundred thousand people from storming the field the answer and you is have you security cannot. that's what i'm saying it's like no Wait, force on this earth can would stop have kept that. the fans in Knoxville from storming onto that field I know. after that win. So Absolutely it just nothing. seems ridiculous that they have this fine system. For what? Yeah. Well, and it would seem that that would, that would tend to hurt smaller schools anyway, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the smaller... Tennessee's athletic department can... You know, absorb that hit easily. And well, I mean, I guess with, um, the, the TV deals that the SEC is going to be getting in the near future, uh, all of the programs could probably deal with that. But let's, let's take a smaller school like Vanderbilt or something like that. You know, if they get a big win and the fans rush the field, you know, should the school really be penalized for that? You know, especially when major victories like that are so few and far between for a lot of these schools, you know, maybe, Maybe you let them off the hook. Maybe you give them a yeah, little bit of grace. I mean, it's part of the experience. I think so. Hey, we need to go into a commercial break. We will be back on the other side, and we'll be talking about more substantive matters. But uh, but I just needed to let my enthusiasm run for a little bit in this opening segment. Uh, if you'd like to call in and chat about anything, the number is 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome. Welcome back. This is Dave Rowland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, filling in for Gary Nolan on The Gary Nolan Show. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we have just <laughs> we've just wrapped up going over my exultation over uh, Tennessee beating Alabama over the weekend. I'm very excited about this whole thing. But I now want to turn the conversation to uh, matters that people are more accustomed to hearing me talk about, and that is usually things having to do with law. Uh, I am an attorney. Uh, I've been litigating constitutional cases uh, and government transparency cases for almost 20 years at this point. And, um, you know, it, it's one of the roles that I take very seriously that um, I I try my best to educate people about the law um, because there are there are many legal principles that are kind of intuitive that someone who's not trained in the law, um, you know, can guess at and, and pick up. And and they're probably right if they guess about how the law works, but not always. Um, there are certain aspects or elements of law that although someone not trained as an attorney uh, would expect the law to do one thing or to require one thing. In fact, it requires something pretty significantly different. And and that makes um, you know a, a huge difference when you are trying to litigate a case. And uh, I hosted the show on Thursday of last week and had a conversation with someone who had filed a lawsuit on their own. Um, and unfortunately for this person, they they had an intuition about the way the law worked and they filed this lawsuit with the expectation that um, the law would work in their favor. And I had to tell them, uh, it's no, that's that's not how the law works in this particular area. And and, and this person got really upset with me 
Um, and, and she went from, uh, just trying to justify her own intuition to actually becoming angry with me and, um, treating me as though I was some sort of enemy because I was not willing to lie about what the law actually says. Um, and so listeners, you, you may have heard how that conversation went when we were on the air. Um, but I wanted to provide a little bit of follow-up because after the show, I reached out to this person on Facebook and, uh, you may recall she was demanding that I, that I cite a specific statute, um, to, to show that I was correct and how I was understanding the law. Um, I didn't have the statutes in front of me at the time. I couldn't pull one, you know, just out of thin air to explain it, but I knew that I was correct because I had actually litigated this issue a couple of times, um, successfully. And so uh, when I got home, I looked up the statute, and I also looked up the controlling case interpreting that statute, and I sent it to her. And I said, look, here's why uh, my position is correct. Here's what the courts are going to do with this situation. Um, she then turned to a Facebook group called Missouri Rhino Watch, Uh Rhino as in Republicans in name only. And she started to lambast me as like some uh, evil person. Um, and it really frustrated me um, for a couple of reasons. The first is I am not and never in my <laughs> adult life have ever claimed to be a Republican. Um, I am strictly nonpartisan. As, as people who have heard me guest host the show and, and have heard me talk to Gary on the show, I'm not even registered to vote. I am a conscientious objector to our electoral system because I am so frustrated with what it has become. I have been so frustrated with how far it has departed from what our founding fathers envisioned that I just don't want to take part in it as it's currently composed. Um, and so the, the idea that someone is calling me a Republican in name only when I've never pretended to be a Republican, I thought was was kind of silly. Um, but but more concerning to me is that a lot of people on the political right love the work that I do um, because I work to advance a lot of constitutional principles that conservatives embrace, you know, property rights, economic liberty, the right to keep and bear arms, um, free speech, religious liberty. You know, these are the things that I've dedicated my entire career to working on. And conservatives love the fact that I work on these issues that are so important to them. Now, what they have to realize is that as as a libertarian, I will sometimes disagree with some of the policy positions that conservatives might prefer. And that's OK. Like, as far as I'm concerned, where you have a political disagreement, uh, disagreement with someone you talk about it. You have conversations and each side can explain why they hold the position that they do. And you don't have to be enemies just because you have differences of opinion. Um, but that's really what I saw happening with this whole Rhino Watch thing. People, the, the vitriol started spilling out simply because 
I am not a conservative and I've never pretended to be. And they treated me as an enemy because of those differences of opinion. Um, it was very disheartening. We're about to go into another commercial break here. But uh, on the other side of this, I want to explore a little bit more about why this frustrates me so much and why I feel like um, it is an indication of the rot at the center of our current electoral system and what I think we might be able to do to change that. I hope you'll listen in. The number's 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. We are back. This is Dave Rowland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show. Uh, so before the break, I was talking a little bit about this uh, conversation that we had last week uh, when I was guest hosting the show. And uh, I, I had spoken to uh, a former political candidate who had filed this lawsuit that was just it, it's going to fail. Uh, you know, it's it's not there's no basis in law for what she was asking for. Um, and she got angry and she put me on blast with a Facebook group and, and, you know, predictably a bunch of people tried to pile on in part, uh, because as listeners to the show will know, I spearheaded an initiative in, um, the last elect or in this current election cycle where I was trying to get ranked choice voting on the ballot here in Missouri. And a lot of people are very concerned about the idea of ranked choice voting. They, they feel like, um, you know, it's, it's going to favor one party or another. Uh, I don't actually think that it will. Um, and, and so my responsibility is to help people understand what this, um, system of voting actually is, what it looks like and, and how it would play out in the real world. And then as far as I'm concerned, you know, people may be persuaded, they may not be persuaded and that's okay. Um, I don't pretend that everybody needs to think the same way that I do about these things. Um, but unfortunately, part of the reason that I think this is so important and part of the reason that uh, I have grown so frustrated with our current electoral system is that there is just intense polarization, intense partisanship, um, where it's almost assumed that if someone disagrees with you on a, po uh, on a particular policy point, that must mean that they have bad intentions. It must mean that they are an enemy to be confronted and destroyed rather than someone who is to be discussed with and persuaded, right? And our entire political system is based on the idea of conversation and persuasion. Um, if you don't believe me, I'm going to read a, um, a passage written by someone a long, long time ago that explains the problem with political parties. And again, I am I am intensely anti-partisan. Um, I think it's important to cultivate friendships and associations with people across the political spectrum. And political parties, I think, are a direct impediment to doing that. And I'm not the only one who thought so. I'm not going to tell you who wrote this. I'm just going to going to read what was written all obstructions to the exercise of laws all combinations and associations under whatever plausible character with the real design to direct control counteract or awe the regular deliberation and action of the constituted authorities are destructive of america's fundamental principles and of a fatal tendency they serve to organize faction 
to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation the will of a party often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community, and according to the alternate triumphs of different parties, to make the public administration the mirror of the ill-concerted and incongruous projects of faction rather than the organ of considered and wholesome plans digested by common councils and modified by mutual interests. However, combinations or associations of the above description may now and then answer popular ends, they're likely, in the course of time and things, to become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled people will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion." I've already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state, with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discriminations. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party generally. This spirit, unfortunately, is inseparable from our nature, having its root in the strongest passions of the human mind. It exists under different shapes in all governments, more or less stifled, controlled, or repressed. But in those of the popular form, it is seen in its greatest rankness and truly is their worst enemy. The alternate dominion of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in different ages and countries has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. But this leads at length to a more formal and permanent despotism. The disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual, and sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty." Without looking forward to an extremity of this kind, which nevertheless ought not to be entirely out of sight, the common and continual mischief of the spirit of a party are sufficient to make it the interest and duty of a wise people to discourage and restrain it. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against another, foments occasionally riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption, which finds a facilitated access to the government itself through the channels of party passions. Thus, the policy and the will of one country are subjected to the policy and the will of another. There is an opinion that parties in free countries are useful checks upon the administration of government and serve to keep alive the spirit of liberty. This, within certain limits, is probably true. And in governments of a monarchical caste, patriotism may look with indulgence, if not favor, upon the spirit of party. But in those of the popular character, in governments purely elective, it is a spirit not to be encouraged. From their natural tendency, it is certain there will always be enough of that spirit for every salutary purpose, and there being constant danger of excess, the effort to be, uh, ought to be, by force of public opinion, to mitigate and assuage it. 
a fire not to be quenched, it demands a uniform vigilance to prevent its burning into a flame, lest instead of warming, it should consume. These were the words of George Washington in his farewell address. The idea he was trying so diligently to impress upon Americans is that when we break ourselves into political party, the electoral process will tend to supplant the actual public interest to the interest of just one faction or the other. And they will fight each other over power. And whenever they get power, they will use it to advance their own ends, not necessarily the, the interests of the people themselves. Washington pointed out that when people divide themselves into parties, they start thinking of each other as opponents instead of mutual participants in a conversation about what's best for the country. And that's exactly what I see right now. That is exactly what I see right now. People demanding that others tow their party line instead of having an open, honest, and thoughtful conversation about policy. Our nation was designed for citizens to have those open, honest, and thoughtful conversations about policy, to discuss with each other the ideas under which we're to be governed, not to have one group come up with ideas that it would then force on the others. And that's what I see from both sides of the political spectrum right now. I see people on the left wanting to impose their will on everybody else. I see people on the right wanting to impose their will on everybody else. You know, and here I am as a little old libertarian saying, you know what? Stop trying to govern other people. Stop trying to control other people. Live and let live. You know, if, if people are not harming each other with their behavior, just leave them alone. I think that's a very common sense position, but unfortunately, it is not the position that's embraced by either of the major parties. And one of the things that drives me nuts is there are a number of Republicans who think that that's what they're doing. But then you look at the standard bearers for the Republican Party, and they are perfectly happy to employ the will of the state or the power of the state to advance their own ends when it suits them. You know, uh, you, you've got... Republican governors that are perfectly happy to say, oh, we don't want these children reading this information. We don't want them exposed to these ideas, even if that's what their parents want for them. Um, you know, and, and they want to punish corporations that happen to take political positions that are contrary to their own. And, and that is as anti-freedom, as anti-liberty as it gets. And so, you know, I think that we have to be able to have these conversations about what policy is going to look like without wearing these party labels. And as long as people are devoted to these party labels over uh, and above the sense that we are all in this together and we need to be working to persuade each other instead of beat each other over the head, the system's never going to work the way it was intended. And that is why I cannot currently, in good conscience, participate in electoral politics. We are about to head into another 
commercial break. Uh, if you have thoughts about anything that I just said, if you want to bat around some of these ideas, by all means, call in. The number is 1-800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. Uh, I'd love to have you on the air. Feel free to call in. This is Dave Roland filling in for Gary Nolan on the Zimmer Radio Network. Welcome back. This is Dave Roland, the Director of Litigation for the Freedom Center of Missouri, filling in for Gary Nolan on the Gary Nolan Show today. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about why I am a conscientious objector to our current electoral system. Um, and uh, I spent the last segment railing on the idea of political parties and um, expressing my opinion that they are actively bad for our system of government. And I believe that my particular perspective on this is shared by one George Washington, who kind of important guy. Um, you might have heard of him. So we have a couple of callers on the line, and I want to hear what they have to say and, and consider it. Let's go to Corey. Corey, thank you for calling in. You are on the air with Dave Rowland. Hey, Dave. Good morning. Thanks for filling in for Gary. And I've been on a few calls with Gary, and we've had our debates, and they're, they're just opinions. And uh, with liberty comes discomfort. So yeah. mm -hmm. where I'm going with that is <clears throat> not siding with either one. Like just like you, I'm trying to I'm going to try to stay libertarian in the middle. But as I listen to a Sirius XM conservative channel, and a caller calls in, I'm not going to disclose where he was at in the United States of America. But he was at his kid's school, all right? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of middle school. And they installed, on our taxpayer dollars, bars. So the kids who want to identify as bats can hang from them during their recess time. That's one example, all right? Then the science class, there was a kiddie pool for kids that want to identify as frogs or anything like that. That's amphibian. So my point where I'm going with all that is you're trying to say what – Look, take a look what's happening now, this right now. And you have all these political leaders that you're talking about. And I hear the problem, but the solution of what you're what you're trying to define and not staying on this in, the, in this perspective of conservative values that George Washington in our country was found upon. You see all these Democratic leaders leaving their parties. Tulsi Gabbard, of course, we heard that last week, and we'll see it more and more and more. You see the pop culture shifting and changing. Kanye West is going to buy Parler. This examples go on and on, and more so because we've all seen it happen. And this winter, because of left-wing policy and the del deliberate attempt to destroy our conservative country that we call United States of America, the best in the world, you'll see people starving. You'll see people in shelters cold and dying. The older People, will, senior citizens will be dying in the cold because of heating bills. 33% of Americans right now are behind their utilities bills, electric bills. Dave, I could go on and on. Thank you for letting me to speak my piece. If we don't vote Republican as a conservative, not a neocon, or these squishy, squashy, you know, rhinos, we have to stand our ground and we've got to stay focused on the eye on the prize, obviously getting Trump back in in 2024. Thank you, sir. Okay, well, thank you for calling in. Um, I, I I tend to disagree. Um, so I, I don't know if listeners are familiar with the phrase moral panic. Um, periodically, uh, somebody, and it's not always conservatives, it could be liberals as well, they latch on to a certain idea where there's like this, this urban myth 
um, you know, where something is claimed to have happened and it, it attains this status of, of, um, you know, truth, even though there's not necessarily any actual evidence to back it up. And I think that's exactly what's happening right now with this idea that schools are accommodating, uh, children who identify as animals. Um, I haven't seen any actual evidence of any of this, but everybody knows someone who knows someone who knows someone who says that it's happening at their schools. Um, I think this is the classic urban panic. It goes along with like the satanic panic in the 1980s, um, the panic about uh, the sex bracelets in the 1990s, uh, where there's there's just actually very little evidence, if any, that this has ever happened in any real place, but it's taken as truth and people uh, start wanting to make policies about it. Really, as far as I'm concerned, the, the answer to this is school choice. You know, if you're worried that your school is putting out litter boxes for people who identify as cats or uh, putting bars on the playground so people who identify as bats can hang upside down, if you're worried about that, by all means, take your kid to another school. And I, I would support policies that would allow people to do that. Um, but I am skeptical this is actually a problem. Let's go ahead and let's go to Doreen. Doreen, thank you for your patience and waiting uh, while we address that other call. What would you like to say? Well, first of all, I want to thank you very much uh, for reading George Washington's final address. You're welcome. I'd love uh, to do it. I tell you what, that that truly sheds a light on exactly what's happening right now <clears throat> and it's very sad to see um the last caller said something about people hanging upside kids children hanging upside down as bats or whatever the bars are installed when i was a kid we had monkey bars mm -hmm. every kid i knew played on them yep we had swings those are things children played on throughout history <laughs> <laughs> I, I suspect that's probably the answer to this this concern, but uh, you know I don't know. I, I don't have all the information in front of me, but uh, well, I, I am very skeptical, shall we say, that that they're installing pools for kids to identify as amphibians. I just I, I don't I, I believe that's actually that. happening. Yeah, yeah. A lot of you know, a lot of schools might have pools for children to play in, but that would be children playing in little kiddie pools or you know, in pools, learning to swim. So I don't know where all this is coming from, but I do know there's a lot of misinformation on the web, and so many people are unable to discern what is fact and what is fiction. And right, the best yeah. thing that I have come up with is listen to both sides. Absolutely. Well, and part of the problem is, is people gravitate towards sources that confirm their priors, right? So if, right. if we are concerned that the left is promoting these identity questions, you know, then, well, of course, we we might think, oh, well, here's just further proof of their degeneracy and and what the links they're willing to go to uh, to let children question their identity, even to pretend that they're animals. Um, you know, and I think that's part of the problem is is we do have a tendency to gravitate towards sources that kind of confirm our assumptions. Right. And there's a lot of misinformation out there to scare people right now. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that there are certain bad actors and I don't want to put everybody into that category, but I do think that there are certain bad actors who capitalize on that and, and they 
invent these stories or they hype these stories in such a way to play on people's gullibility. Uh, we're going to have to go into a break right now. Thanks so much for calling in, Doreen. I appreciate it. We're going to come back on the other side and continue this conversation with some other callers we've got on the line. The number is 800-529-5572 or 573-874-9390. This is Dave Rowland on the this Zimmer Radio Network. Gary Nolan Show.